Welcome, good to see you again, whether in the room or virtually, I'm so glad you're here to worship with us together today. Throughout our series entitled Aware, we've considered how our senses make us more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence. Last week, Jeff masterfully helped us consider how to be the aroma of Christ. Before that, Ben helped us consider how taste can increase our awareness. And Danny, she helped us here with new ears as we listen for the Spirit in song and story and in life. Today, we're going to look at sight, I know, no pun intended. There's no way around it, friends, sorry. And hopefully, by the time we are through, we'll have a deeper awareness of God's presence in how we see and in what we see. Well, a few of you know this, but one of my nicknames in my family is Word Girl. I don't think it's because I talk too much, but maybe I'm wrong about that. And words are funny things, aren't they? Their meaning um, shifts with context, um, sometimes just with tone and always with intent. My family is like most of yours. When my children were little, they had words that were difficult for them to remember or apply, or words that we call family-isms. They were often misinterpreted. My older daughter, Emma, at 11, we were on our way to the fabric store, and I realized she was saying fabric, T-H-A-B-R-I-C. So we, we still say that. And my younger daughter, Camille, often calls the state West Virginia, West Virginia. And one of her friends from school still sends me license plate photos of West Virginia with the words below it. Her other famous one is that she says, I wanted to have some cock coins when she was three. She wanted popcorn, which is her mama's favorite food. Well, one word that they both struggled to understand or at least remember was the word beside. And so they made up their own term. They would say, can I sit um, by next to you? Or can I sit next side you? And so we still say by next to you or next side you. I knew what they meant. And as I said, often as a mother, listen to what I mean, not what I say. So moms of young people out there, Jamie Kadoff, you're welcome to use that with your boys. Listen to what I mean, not what I say. Well, today I would like us to consider the word behold. We don't use it often in everyday language, but it's actually scattered all throughout the pages of Scripture. Maybe you immediately thought of this passage when I said this. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire. It's from Psalm 27. Or maybe some of you, like me, we live a little more frequently in the New Testament. Maybe this came to mind. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid for? Uh, come on, do not be afraid. Behold. There you go. Be behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen and amen. Well, the word behold shows up over 200 times in the New Testament alone. In, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word, um, which doesn't really translate just to behold, is idou. If you were going to spell it in English, it would be I-D-O-U. It means something more like to see with understanding. So today I want you to consider, do you behold, do you see the Holy Spirit with understanding in your day-to-day -day life? Look at this passage with me from Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. This is the Passion Translation. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation, the 
endowing the beholding of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. This passage is talking about seeing with the eyes of our heart. And in Hebrew thought, we did, they see with the eyes of the heart. The seed of knowledge is not the head in, in Hebrew thought, but the heart is the seat of thought and of being. When we invite the Holy Spirit to help us see with understanding, to behold, I propose that we are changed and transformed. When we see with understanding, we're seeing with the eyes of our heart. And as our heart is engaged, we want to replicate the beauty that's around us. And we want to extricate the terrible beauty that's around us. I'll talk more about that later. So here's the focus for our time today. As we behold beauty, both spectacular and terrible, it leads us to attention, to attend to the beautiful God who creates and the God of justice who redeems. I propose this, that beholding is connected to becoming more like Jesus. Our sense of sight leads to transformation in our souls. Some of you have heard me talk about Barbara Brown Taylor. I've recommended her book, uh, An Altar in This World, to many of you. This is her most recent book, and the title of it is Always a Guest, Speaking of Faith Far From Home. And it's a collection of her sermons given in a whole bunch of different places, at universities, in churches, and it's, it's been such an interesting read for me. She has written 15 books. She's uh, Barbara Brown Taylor is an Episcopal priest and a professor. I love what her website says about her. She says this, I am a writer, speaker, and spiritual contrarian. I say the things you're not supposed to say. I know some of you are like, yep, that's why you like her, Courtney. She is a rebel in service to Jesus Christ. She has taught at Emory and Columbia, lots of universities, but the, the place I think is most interesting that she's taught is at Arendale State Prison for Women in Georgia, where she's part of a team that offers a cert certificate in theological studies to inmates. That sounds pretty exciting to me. One of the reasons I enjoy her writing so much is that she really makes me think about my preconceived ideas about Jesus or about scripture. She helps me take a new lens, look through a new lens, and that transforms me. In his book on writing, A Memoir of the Craft, Stephen King says this, good writers are good readers. And I propose that good preachers listen to good preaching. I get to listen to these guys, this team here preach all the time, that's good preaching. But I decided why not jump in and read some good preaching as well. So I wanna make sure you know that the idea for this sermon, I wanna make sure I give attribution to Barbara Brown Taylor. She is very bright and it was very helpful to me to read her sermon entitled Errors About Beauty as I considered sight and beholding and MCC and what we're learning. You see, it's actually Jesus himself who initially points us to beauty. Look at his words from Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. That's in the command tense there. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not more of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Look at the imagery that Jesus is using here. Things that are accessible right around the people to whom he's speaking. We are, of course, made in the image of God, the creator. And Christians have for centuries tried to replicate the beauty that's around us. In fact, many of us who gather today are creatives. I met Hannah for the first time this morning and she talked about the creativity of art and baking. And I'm like, yes, please bake because I can't. I love that. There are lots of ways to create. Lauren Ng is a poet among us. Some of you, you write cards for friends who are experiencing pain or joy. There's a lot of beauty, right? There's beauty in a newborn baby. There's even beauty in a perfectly pruned hedge, ask my father. When we put something beautiful into the world, when we create, we are replicating the acts of our creator God. We long to add to the beauty. I have to confess that Taylor reminded me of my church history lectures in her book and the deep divide that has existed for a really long time between church and culture and just the church in its view of art in the church and beauty. Prior to the Reformation, the church was the wealthiest and the grandest patron of the saints, in, or excuse me, patron of the arts in all of society. Consider a few things here. Look at Chartres Cathedral. Is this stunning? Wow, built to glorify and magnify God. Or Michelangelo's work, also painted to glorify God. I don't want to forget the women. There uh, is a fabulous artist who is in the Catholic, or was in the Catholic Church, Hildegard of Bingen. She was a 12th century abbess, a Benedictine nun. She was an architect, a playwright, a musician, and composer. She's actually the patron saint of the arts in the Catholic Church. Go girls. All right. Then what happens in the Reformation? John Calvin is called in 1541 to the old cathedral church of St. Peter. It's located in Geneva, Switzerland. And he starts making changes. He and his followers soon empty the church of all the altars, the paintings, the statues, the furniture, everything. I'm not sure why they left the stained glass windows. Maybe it was too onerous to take them out, but I'm glad that they did. Even the spectacular organ in the church was silenced. Calvin did not believe in instrumental music, and he did approve of singing, but you had to be singing the Psalms because the Psalms had been sung in scripture, so he decided that would be okay, but you couldn't harmonize. You had to sing in unison. He disbanded the band, so to speak. Calvin's goal was really a good one. He wanted to eliminate anything that would distract people from the pure worship of God. Taylor says this, in Calvin's view, the greatest art was the plan of God. And anything, any art that detracted from that plan was the work of the devil. Art for art's sake that aimed only to please the eyes or ears was no more than occasion for sin, according to Calvin. Well, we can't leave Calvin in a pile on the floor like that. He didn't have anything nice to say about the human arts, but he had a great deal to say about God and the art that God creates. Calvin said, all of creation is filled with bright lamps meant to show us the glory of God. The problem is we're looking at the lamps instead of the lamp maker himself. I do love this quote from Calvin. There is not one 
blade of grass. There is no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. What do you behold that makes you rejoice today? So the problem for Calvin was that we think chiefly of our own pleasure when we look at beautiful things. And he was trying to eliminate idolatry, not a bad idea. Some people actually feel closest to God in nature. Some people feel close to God when they're picketing at a rally. Some people when they are painting. Let's talk a little bit more about the beauty that Jesus describes. Taylor pointed me to a book by Elaine Scarry. She's a professor of aesthetics at Harvard. And I just have to tell you, I didn't know there was such a thing as a professor of aesthetics anywhere, let alone at Harvard. And it's this little tiny, I have to show you, it's this little tiny book. It's not that many pages. I barely got through it the first time, and then I really barely got through it the second time. It's very thick. Apparently, aesthetics, you have to be a genius to write and speak about. But in this brilliant book, she talks about sacred things. And she reminds us that beauty prompts a copy of itself. Why do we paint the things we see in nature? Why do we post the photographs when we go to Yosemite? We want other people to appreciate and enjoy and participate in the beauty that we're experiencing. We are stopped in our tracks by stunning beauty. And then we go and we want to tell others about it. That's our first point. Skyrie's second point is that seeing beauty awakens us to what is not beautiful to those things which have been injured or debased or disfigured. Some of you are familiar with poet Wendell Berry, who is a follower of Jesus. He once said, there are no sacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. So beauty awakens us to what is not beautiful. Skari's third and what I felt was most, her most important point is this. Beauty has the power to remove us from the center of our own universe. It takes our breath away and moves us beyond ourselves, from our own tiny world into an expansive beauty that we see. Does that sound like Jesus to you? Consider the birds, consider the lilies of the field. Artists and philosophers have called this decentering. But Skari coins a word I thought was super helpful. She said, we are unselfed by the beauty. This unselfing removes us from the center of our thoughts. I believe that's the power of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean? I mean, if I can move out of the center of my own thoughts, I can make room for the Spirit to speak to me, to nudge me, to guide me. If I pause and pay attention, I can pay attention to the Spirit's presence with me. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Let's look at it now in the message version. I ask, ask that the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, I ask God to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing God, knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do, to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. I could use more of that. Have you ever been awestruck when you've beheld something? 
I have something called seasonal affective disorder, which simply put means when it's gray outside, when it's gray outside I'm gray on the inside. So living in Seattle was a particular challenge for me. I was going through a hard time one winter and a friend said, just come stay at my house with me. I want to just spoil you all weekend. So I went to her house. She lives right on Lake Washington. Spectacular view. I got up earlier than she did one morning and sat down in her family room. She has these big bifold windows. You push them back and it's a little like you're outside. So I'm sitting there just soaking in the, not sun, but soaking in the view. And I looked over and there were a pair of binoculars sitting next to me on the couch. So I picked them up and looked. And as I looked, I looked out, there's a tree right at the bottom of her property, right next to the lake. And right as I look out, this enormous American bald eagle comes and lands on the tree. And he just sat there and sat there. And then, my friends, he turned, and I swear to you, he looked at me. I'm looking through these binoculars, so it's like he's from here to this monitor, just like right up in my grill. And I looked, and I looked, and I was captured. I was awestruck. And I felt the Spirit say to me, I see you. And for a woman who'd been struggling with depression in a hard season of life, I needed that word from the Spirit. My friend came into the room and said, oh, I see you found the binoculars, what are you doing? And I said, there's an eagle in your tree and I feel like he's looking at me. And then she said this, he's probably looking at you because God sees you. God sees you. I see you, Court. I needed to pause. I needed to be awestruck. I needed to behold, see with understanding what was before me. All right, back to Jesus and the birds. Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. You know, Jesus so often teaches about the poor, the widow, the marginalized. And right now, in this moment, Jesus gets down to the heart of our everyday life. Hey, those of you who are dealing with anxiety, I want you to look around, see, and let the seeing change you. When we lose ourselves in beauty, we can be led to Jesus. I want to be clear, I'm not talking about chemical depression or anxiety. I'm talking about those of us who sit and worry. Worrying is not going to add a day to our lives, Jesus said. Pause, pay attention, see the birds, see the lilies. If God cares for these Imagine what God has in mind for you. Look at the glory of this lily with the dewdrops on it. God made that, and God made each of you, my friends. I like to think of this as visual holy disruption. The Holy Spirit getting my attention, and I get unselfed, I get pushed out of the center of my thoughts to the beauty that's around me, to see and notice, to behold reorients me. It reorients us and allows us to pay attention for God. And then like the paralytic in the other stories in the gospel or the leper, you know what I do? I run and tell someone when I'm unselfed and I see God at work. I share that good news. Beauty can behold our gaze for a moment of perfect stillness. I say perfect because when my thoughts are silenced, I can hear God speak. When it's done dismantling my illusions or my anxieties, God and the beauty around me rebuilds me, brings me back to a wider gaze, illuminating the eyes of my imagination 
and helping me understand and imagine how I might love, love and serve those around me. As we see and behold, we are ready to engage the divine work of creating more beauty in the world, my friends, more justice, more true love. Well, earlier I mentioned the phrase terrible beauty, and I, I confess I had, it took me a minute to get my mind around and my heart around this idea, but let me help you understand what Skari means when she's talking about it. There are photographs of war that are terrible. They're beautiful because then there are photographs of fields with white flags. There are drawings by Jewish children who died in Treblinka. These kiddos before they're even 12, they still could capture and create even from the pain and this place they were living. There's beauty in birth. There's a lot of effort involved in it. There's beauty in the lifeboat that has the bird arrive with something green in its beak and we know that we are about to be rescued. We are lost and then we behold and in some new way we are found just as that bird found me. What if the eagle staring down was a momentary blessing but with eternal significance? That happened years and years ago, and I'm still telling the story and pointing to God. If we can let ourselves be unselfed, unself-centered, we can pay attention to the Spirit of God. Can you and I attend to the beauty around us this week, the beautiful and the terrible? What if you give this beholding thing a try? What if you got unselfed? Would you send me an email and tell me how you were awestruck? Maybe as we do this, we will recreate the beauty and extend love to those around us. Let's try that this week, using our sight to become more aware of the Spirit's presence. We sing about Idao. We sing, holy there is no one like you as we look to God in worship. Our beholding is connected to becoming more like Jesus, my friends, what if we open up our eyes in wonder to those around us? What preconceived ideas of the Spirit would you have to set aside this week in order, in order to behold and in order to be held by God? How could your seeing things with new understanding lead you to love to those around you? What? Is the Spirit inviting you to see or behold in your day-to-day -day life this week? I pray you will ask God and listen for the Spirit's response and more importantly, look for the Spirit as you behold God's beauty, both the extravagant and the terrible beauty, things, beautiful things in our world. Amen.